0: This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys. By I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold
1: strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for
0: him. Now here's the host of Play-By-Play Cast, Todd Bodette. Wait, the Motel 6 guy?
1: We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godette. Joe Godette. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, Joel. with L.
0: Okay, Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. And American Pharaoh makes his run for glory as they come into the final furlong. Frosted, his second, with one-eighth of a mile to go. American pharaoh has got a two-length lead. Frosted is all out at the 16th.
1: Right back at it with the hundred and first episode of Play by Playcast. We'll get to that in a second. My name is Joel Guedet. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download for joining us here on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you have found this podcast. It as always is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into the trips, ticks, the trips, tricks, tips, trips professional development podcast, diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. You can find it on social media at PXPCast. You can find me on social media at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Or you can shoot me an email, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Our guest today on the 101st episode of PXPCast is Larry Colmas, timely guest, and I'm excited to have him on the pod today. He's the voice for NBC of the Triple Crown, which is going on right now. The Kentucky Derby was last weekend. The Preakness is next weekend. And then the Belmont Stakes to follow uh, three weeks after that. Uh, Larry has been the voice of the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup on NBC since 2011. We'll get to Larry here in just a second. Uh, you'll notice, though, I said it's the 101st episode of Play by Playcast. Last week was 99. If you haven't caught our interview with uh, Lanny for Terry, by the way, do go back and and check it out. Uh, the former voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, very nuanced, kind of wonky conversation about how you call a game, how you prep for a game. We talked about why they're called book rule doubles and not ground rule doubles in baseball. By the way, I called a game on Wednesday with a pair of ground rule doubles. I called them book rule doubles. Nobody complained. Hey, be the change you want to see in the broadcasting world. We're gonna, we're going to convert people one by one. Uh, but do check out Lanny for Terry's interview in episode 99. Episode 100, I've I've moved around a little bit, so to speak, um, because I did say last week that the person that was going to be on episode 100 is somebody you would know, but also somebody that uh, meant a lot to me in terms of the early foundations of my broadcasting career. And uh, he and I didn't have a chance to connect over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We're both very busy people. Uh, He's in season right now. Um, I'm doing like 95 different things right now. Um, But I do still want to bring that conversation to you when it happens. And it will be for what it's worth. Like, listen, it's a podcast. They're all episodes. They happen like sequentially, like episodically every week. But for whatever reason, we'll we'll still call that 1-100 when it happens. And I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I'm excited to share it with you guys as well. Uh, So technically... We'll call this one 101 for today. Before we get to Larry Colmas, though, a quick update on what's going on in in my broadcasting world. Closing down Ball State baseball season, two weekends left in the regular season. Uh, Just did a lacrosse tournament on television last week. Just did a tennis tournament on television the week before that. And in two weeks' time, at the conclusion of Ball State baseball season, I'm also going for another uh, sport I don't usually broadcast. I'm broadcasting the CrossFit regionals, not the CrossFit games, but the regionals, the round before the games, which is cool in and of its own right. And I got excited when this offer was presented to me a couple of months ago, and I looked at the date, and I looked at where the regionals were, and I was like, sweet, I'm going to Nashville, um, because it seemed close to me, and you know, in this country. Uh, That was wrong. That was an incorrect guess. Uh, I'm excited because in a couple of weeks' time from now, I'm going to broadcast the CrossFit Games Regionals, the CrossFit Games Regional Round, from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, a country I've never been to. I don't speak Portuguese. It's the Latin American Regional Round. I I don't speak Spanish either. uh, So prep has been very interesting (laughs) because I've been trying to learn... The names, statistics, and backstories of over a hundred CrossFit athletes. And uh, any articles I can find on them, not in English. Now, I do have the Google extension where I can translate stuff. um, And I've found some stuff uh, and been able to translate it. But I've also found a ton of YouTube videos and a ton of podcasts that are in Portuguese or in Spanish. And as much as it would be really cool to listen to all of those, it's French to me. Technically, it's Portuguese to me uh, or Spanish to me, but I I don't know what I'm listening to. Um, So I've I've hit one of the interesting roadblocks that I've never actually asked any of the broadcasters that have done the Olympics about on this podcast. And that's how you get information from athletes from other countries. Uh, I've actually sent Facebook messages to almost all of the athletes that are competing in this CrossFit regional. And I've said, hi, my name is Joel. I'm doing the regional. Can you please send me the following information? And I sent them a 10-point questionnaire. And a handful of them have gotten back to me, and it's been very helpful. Um, But it's been a very, very informative experience to try to figure out how to broadcast an international event when you are an American who speaks one language. Uh, I'm excited for it, though, and I'll have some more information as we get closer to that and certainly break down how it goes for, for you on this podcast afterward, uh, but that is what's coming up on the horizon uh, for me as I, as I try to dust up on my Portuguese. On that note, I've got like 95 windows open on my computer right now, and half of them are CrossFit games related, and one of them is a bio on Larry Colmas. Uh, so let me tell you about Larry before we dive into the interview. Uh, he's been with NBC since 2011 when he took over for Tom Durkin, uh, who preceded him, uh, and he has since succeeded Tom Durkin as well with the New York Racing Association. But Larry began calling horse racing, and it's the only sport he's ever broadcast. Uh, he dove into it when he was young and got good at it, and, and is, a, and is a, a testament to just going into your own corner of the universe and getting good at your craft. Because people will notice when you're good at your craft. Larry started at the Bowie racetrack in 1985 when he was just 18 years of age and slowly worked his way up uh, to Laurel Park and Pimlico and Timonium racetrack. I'm not sure where that is. Uh, I know he's also worked at Monmouth Park, which is in New Jersey, uh, Gulfstream Park, Suffolk Downs, Gulfstream Park is in Florida, and a couple of times was turned down as the track announcer at Churchill Downs, which is hilarious now, he just called the Derby last week, and um, And like anybody, we've had this conversation many a time on the pod. You have those thoughts. Is it going to happen for me? Am I ever going to get that big break? And then in 2011, he gets a phone call that he thought was a prank. Originally, saying, hey, it's NBC. Would you like to call the Triple Crown? He went off in his world, worried about him, worried about getting better, worried about doing good work. And the right people noticed. And the right people found him. Uh, And now everybody hears him uh, for three of the biggest days in sports every year. Say what you want about the popularity of horse racing compared to the NBA or the NFL or whatnot. But, like, we all watch those three Triple Crown races. uh, And his voice is a part of that. And forever will be a part of it. Because he also got to call the Triple Crown. Uh, Two of his most famous calls will be the Breeders' Cup win for American Pharoah, horse of a lifetime and the Triple Crown win for American Pharaoh. The 37-year wait is over. American Pharaoh is finally the one. His other famous call is between two horses called, My Wife Knows Everything and the, and the Wife Doesn't Know, but that's less, less important. Um, really good testament to hard work, earning your stripes, biding your time, and having good things happen to people that work really hard. Uh, I don't know Larry. Larry doesn't know me. I wanted to have him on, I thought it would be really cool to dive into the world of horse racing broadcasting, Uh, so I reached out to him on a whim, and he said yes, and I'm excited to have his conversation with you here on the 101st episode of Play by Playcast. We start, of course, where else? What it's like to call a triple crown when American pharaoh made the run for history.
0: can't imagine it getting any better than that. I mean, it it was uh, an amazing experience that day at Belmont Park, and having gone through the Kentucky Derby in pregnancy with American Pharaoh and and hoping, you know, that he was going to be the the horse to break through and and finally do it and then, you know, actually be the guy that got to narrate. It, it was just a, just an incredible thing to uh, to be a part of.
1: How much prep did you do going into that? I mean, I've I've read all the articles where you've talked about you know, even rehearsing some things in your hotel room and, and hoping that people couldn't hear you in the next room over. Uh, like, what was the the angst going into that for you to make sure that hey, I'm going to do this right if this indeed is what happens today?
0: It's funny. I, I had uh, had some discussions with several different people leading up, uh, pretty much minutes after the pretness had <laughs> content you know finished, and I, I was like, you know what, you know, what's the best approach here? And and I had a uh, dinner one night with uh, a fellow that I absolutely revere uh, Tom Hammond uh, from NBC Sports and you know he he's done so many big events over the years and and he said you know uh, Larry if if you're going to be calling a moment of history you better be prepared and that's when you know I threw out all that thought of winging it. Yeah, you know, which about a lot of people said, oh, it would be more natural if you wing it. I mean, no, it won't. <laughs> uh, you you want to you want to say the right thing, and and uh, you know, leading up, I, I just thought of you know what what is everyone feeling, and I came up with well, he's finally the one, and the thirty-seven year wait is over, and so this kind of got in my head. Now, the thing is, when you're calling a horse race, he, nothing's guaranteed. And there's certainly a chance it could be too close. But in my case, luckily, American Pharoah came through and gave me the opportunity to say what I, what I thought was the best thing to say under the scenario. And he, he let it work out for me. And I, I have him to thank.
1: I was going to say, did you have like a contingency? Like if, if it's a closer race, this is where I'm going to go. Or if it's the way that it panned out, that's what you wind up with.
0: No, I really didn't. Um I I just had a contingency plan if he lost, you know, just just thoughts on on what I would say. But if it got too close, then you're you're just in your element calling a horse race. And then at that point, you you really have to just wing it or, or try to, you know, call what you see. But if you know that it's going to be the moment, you want the right words for the moment.
1: I know you also didn't read the card. You had it written down in front of you, but you didn't uh, look down at it, obviously, while the, the race is happening. Um, what's it like in, in your just in your person in that moment, like the out-of-body experience and almost saying, like, I've prepared for this moment so that it comes out right, but at the same time, maybe just something else comes out because, you know, the, the moment is so big and, and we all get swept up in those things.
0: Uh, no doubt about it. And, and you know, I... I when the race is over you're you're thinking well what did i say you know (laughs) did i I say what i wanted to say because you really it's weird you you are especially at that level when you're calling a kentucky derby or calling a triple crown uh you know you're you're trying to control your heart rate and trying to just stay in the moment and and not go too crazy but you really don't even realize what you're saying you know there's your brain is just so complicated. You it, know, it, 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 you know. You hope that your brain and your mouth are working together. <laughs> and w- what you want to say is actually what comes out. And that uh, luckily in, in my case, you know, it, it did that day. And, you know, there've been other days where you, you, you maybe have called a wrong horse, maybe just during the race and, and didn't even realize it until you, you watched the replay and you thought you called the right one. It's like, did I say that really? And, and you know, that, your brain is just not cooperating with your mouth that day. And, and hopefully uh, it's uh, not a, a big deal, you know, in a, a high pressure race like the Derby.
1: I do want to come back to that, that sentiment here in a second. Um, but I, I want to ask you one more thing about um, the, the, the the American Pharoah call in particular too, in that I, I read you also had listened back to other previous Triple Crown calls. Um, why was that important to you? And, and what did you glean from that that helped you, um, either perform the way you did that day, or just kind of settle some nerves going into it.
0: Well, luckily for for me, uh, the guys that have been doing this before me have been just out absolutely outstanding at what they do. Tom Durkin and Dave Johnson, two legends in the, in the horse racing announcing business, and and Tom Durkin is a is a master of words, and you know I, I wanted to listen to how he handled it, and, and, the, and you know Tom every time had it not happened uh, the the guy called races for 24 years in new york sure. and and had nine chances at a triple crown and and every one fell through but i i did want to hear how he handled all of those calls and i also wanted to hear you know how uh dave johnson and before him chick anderson uh who was the the fellow that called secretary at belmont stakes how how they handled when a triple crown actually did happen and i just wanted to to listen to you know that for an historical uh context and and just get me in the frame of mind of of what i should be thinking uh when i had to do it take me
1: inside just the the general how-to of this um because i i'm gonna take a random guess that most people that that Are listening to this are probably not veteran horse racing announcers Um, a lot of basketball a lot of football a lot of baseball um, and I'm of that ilk as well Uh, and I've never been in that position where your entire job comes down to this two-minute stretch Um, and you know you talked about hopefully your your brain and your mouth are in sync in those two minutes because it's it's such a fever pitch what is it like to to broadcast a sporting event that happens in two minutes at a time um, at the pace at which it occurs
0: well, it's the only thing I've ever done. I've I've called horse racing my entire career, and so I, I can't really compare it to other sports because it's sort of my thing. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean you you do put in a lot of preparation for a for a short period of time, uh, and and it 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 differs um, in that let's say it's the day of racing that you're calling your your normal day job is is I would say at Belmont Park where I I call the races on a regular basis. Um, you have to call nine or 10 races a day. So every half an hour, you have a new cast of characters that you have to say. And so it's, uh, I've heard it referred to as a bathtub memory and that you empty it out and then you fill it up again. Uh, you just, you just keep forgetting horses' names and remembering horses' names. (laughs) But in in the case of, okay, the Kentucky Derby, now you're going to prepare for this thing for months, you know, uh, and start watching replays of all the prep races and getting these horses in your head because there's 20 horses and it's the fastest and greatest two minutes in sports and you better be ready, you know. So when those horses come onto the track at 10 minutes to post time, they have to be your 20 best friends, and you know like the back of your hand. Uh, whereas, you know, maybe the fourth race at Belmont Park on a Thursday, uh, you may peek down at your program a couple times and say, "Now, who's that horse again?" Uh, but uh, that's not going to happen in the Kentucky Derby. So, it, there's so much uh, memory involved, short-term memory, that you just completely abuse your your brain with it <laughs> uh, to the point where. You know, you, you don't remember what you had for dinner the night before. Uh, it's just it's just remember, forget, remember, forget, and it's. I, I think it's very, uh, very much one of the, you know, uh, very different, I should say, than 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 other play-by-play jobs. I think it's sort of it, its own thing, and I I think hockey is probably the closest thing to it. How do you remember forget? Like, what goes into that skill set? You just do. Okay. Uh, I, I think your brain just is uh, adjust to anything you ask it to do for the most part. And that's pretty much what I ask it to do 10 times a day. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> you, you sometimes forget things you don't want to forget, but you're, you know, you're doing that process, but the the remembering part is uh, basically it's the jockey silks that I use uh, as the guide. And, and what I'll do is I will, um, uh, I, I'm I, not as old school as you'd think I would be these days. I actually call races off of an iPad and uh, I've got a program called Notability where I'll, I will color in all of the jockey silks next to the horse's names. And I, mm. I do my own artwork uh, and then I'll I'll use that as a guide when the horses come onto the track and just kind of get them all in my head so that I, I know who they are. And if I can say every horse's name looking through by my binoculars without looking down at my program, I know I'm good to go. And uh, you know, once the horses cross the wire, once that race is over, all of a sudden, uh, you know, your brain just, you know, just wipes them out and they're they're gone. And uh, the the new group uh, is a half an hour later, and you you got to get them in your head. How? Uh, what what physically goes into
1: calling a race? Like, if you had to describe to somebody exactly what you're doing while a horse race is happening, in terms of what you're looking for, what's important for you to say, what's important for you to call out. Um, Kind of what's the time and score, so to speak, of broadcasting a horse race?
0: You know, they're, they're different race to race. Uh, everyone is unique. Uh, the Kentucky Derby is the only race that I go in with in a total game plan. Uh, and the reason for that is because there's 20 horses in a race uh, like that. And, and that's the only race that you call that has 20 horses. The rest of the year, you hardly call anything that's over 12 and, uh, so I, want to, I want to prepare myself and, and I time it out so that I hit that 20th horse by the time the, they run the first half mile of the Kentucky Derby. And then I announce how fast that half mile is. And I've, I've kind of got it down to, a down to the second, these, these years after doing it for the eighth time this year. Um, but that, that's the one race you, you know, you have the game plan. Otherwise, uh, I pretty much just just let it go and and just follow the action. And, and I do focus a little bit on the horse that's taking the most betting the the favorite in the race. You want, you want to mention that horse and and what that horse is doing uh, maybe more than the others, just because most of the people watching the race do have a bet on that horse. Uh, But otherwise you, you know, you, you call the, the horses, their positions uh, you know, what the, what the jockeys uh, are doing on that horse, if it's important, uh, the fractional times, uh, you know, just you just follow that action. And, and, you know, you look for horses that may be making a move from the back of the pack while still focusing on the leaders. Your, your eyes and your your mouth are sort of everywhere. What are you committing to
1: memory too, by the way? Because I like I loved the videos that they take of you in the booth broadcasting the Kentucky Derby on NBC. And uh, I mean, you talked about the binoculars and it's just you watching the track with your binoculars and you can see your charts in front of you and your prep in front of you, um, but you don't go to it because your eyes are glued on the track. And I don't, I don't even think you looked at the monitor um, in in the ones that I was watching. Uh, how much is it, like, I mean, if I gave you a random horse in the race, could you tell me jockey silks, how it runs, all that? What are you trying to to learn about a horse and how much of that can you just recite off the top of your head?
0: Well, in the Kentucky Derby, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you you follow all of that. So I would, during the week, what I did was I, I made uh, myself some cue cards, basically index cards, flash cards. And I had the horses silks, the jockey silks on one side. And then I would say, uh, you know, I, I would look at this one and say, OK, justify Uh, Mike Smith is the jockey. Uh, you know, he's going, he's going for his fifth Kentucky Derby or whatever the number was. Um, you know, that was actually Bob Baffert's fifth, but anyway, um, I would, I would say that information to myself along with where I thought maybe that horse is running style would be, you know, he would be up near the front and, and, you know, and anything else that's important. So I would just kind of whip through the 20 cards that I had and give, Give myself a little test at least two, three times a day.
1: But most of that stuff isn't stuff you're going to directly use over the course of a race, correct?
0: Correct. Right. You, okay. it, it's stuff that you that you want in case you need, uh, you know, to to say it. You know, there's there's so many uh, possibilities of things that can happen during a race, and I, I came up with a few lines that I thought might be good if if different horses had won the Kentucky Derby, uh, and. You know, sort of thought about those two. You you just sort of get them in your head and ingrained it in there, and in hope uh, it comes out uh, if you need it.
1: What's that wordplay like, uh, and and the liberties that you take? Where can you have fun in in broadcasting horse racing that way?
0: I tend to have a lot of fun with it. I I I uh, especially when we're running up at Saratoga uh, in New York in the summer. That that racing meet is a little bit different than calling it Belmont park and that it's, it's highly attended and, and people are having a good time up there. And I, you know, I'll play around with horses names now. And again, if I, if I see uh, a certain situation come up where I can have fun with a horse's name, I'll go ahead and do it. And um, you know, just, just kind of a, Enjoy that, and you know, just think of like if a horse is named after a character in a movie or something like that. Try to come up with a, a line from that movie, maybe you know, something that something that matches uh, the horse's name, and and if it goes over everybody's head, that's even better. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: so, I like know, that's, just, I just, like that's just, the yeah, challenge.
0: Yeah, yeah, just have a little bit of fun, and and that's and that's uh, you know. Part of, part of it. I mean, you, there is a bit of entertaining involved. I mean, you're, you're more of uh, an information guy, but uh, it's, it's good to have a little personality and have a little fun.
1: I will tell you that uh, many Kentucky Derby days while I've been broadcasting baseball, I have often written down a list of all of the horses' names that have won previously, um, and I will try to work them in, in a similar fashion without people noticing. Um, exactly. In, in certain cool. ways, to just make it, and, and certain ones are easier than others. But uh, yeah, yeah that's justify will be easy for you. That'll be, be a very easy one, one hundred percent. I
0: don't know um, what you did with California Chrome, but uh, yeah,
1: I think I probably failed there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you never know. That'd be tough. <laughs> um, tell me about the binocular part of that too. Uh, you you never take your eyes off the track. Um, I I figured you know sometimes maybe it might be easier to call something like that off a monitor. Um, why is it to, better for you to watch it live?
0: Well, I don't want to depend on anyone else. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. If you and if you're calling off of a monitor, it, you know you, you do because uh, if you're calling if you're calling a race, you want to get as much peripheral vision as you possibly can and do it your own way. So if if I'm controlling what I see through blind binoculars, it, it, it's just like it's just all up to me, and I'd rather it be that way. Now, sometimes you run into scenarios where it's, you know, it's raining hard or it's foggy and you need the monitor. And that that is definitely, uh, you know, used in in situations like that. But I hardly ever go to it. The other thing, too, is let's say you're coming to the finish of a race and what you would be looking at would be a moving picture. Uh, But if you're looking through your your binoculars or your naked eye you can focus on the finish line and when the horses hit it you can see you know who hit it first if you have you if you have the proper angle whereas that on a monitor you know they're not going to stop they just run right through it so it's easier to do it with the naked eye or with the binoculars actually hardly ever binoculars when they come to the finish line because you're close enough to to do it with the naked eye was there one time too where like the horses
1: were backlit coming around the stretch, the, the, the final turn. Um, and it was tough to see uh, and kind of figure that out on the fly. I think I read that from one point.
0: Oh yeah. So that would be the the Belmont stakes every year. Um, it's the, the one race that you pray for clouds. <laughs> and uh, the reason being the sun is setting right behind the horses as they turn for home at that time of the day and that time of the year, it just, it just comes up that, that way every time. And uh, I remember the, the the first time I called the Belmont Stakes when it was sunny, That I did call for three straight years where the conditions were cloudy. And like it, the next year, the sun came out at five minutes to post, it was cloudy all day and the sun comes out. And I'm looking at those horses before the race up at the top of the stretch. And I'm like, you know, I can see them okay. I, you know, I, I guess... These people have been telling me it's bad, but it's it's not that bad. I'll be fine. And so they they turned for home in the Belmont Stakes, and thank God I knew who the three horses were because <laughs> their colors turned completely black when they turned for home. I couldn't see any anything but black jockey silks. And I'm like, what the hell just happened here? You know, you're just like that. That can't be right. And and it, and that's what happens in uh, sunny Belmont stakes. And and I'll let you into on a a little bit of a funny thing that uh, people don't realize. When when I called American Pharaohs Belmont, uh, right before I said the 37 year wait is over, I said, and here it is. And when I said, and here it is, I put my binoculars right on American Pharaoh because I wanted to make sure it was still him (laughs) Uh, because his, his silks were so backlit. And so hard to see in that lighting that I just wanted to absolutely 100% make sure I was calling the right horse. I mean, it, it couldn't possibly be anybody else, but I just wanted to, to triple check on that one.
1: Actually, it is kind of funny because when you listen to it, you hear that and here it is. And then there's the brief moment of pause. And then yeah, it's that's,
0: that's my mind saying, OK, it's good. It's him. Well, we can go now. And
1: especially in the situation like that's not one you want to get wrong. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, let me pull out a little bit and go larger picture on this. Um, how does one, I, I know you got into it when your dad was installing sound systems and you were at a, a, a track and, and fell in love with the horse racing aspect of it and everything that was there. Um, but once you made up your mind that this is what you wanted to do, uh, how does one pursue doing that professionally and, and climbing that ladder and, and and making a living out of it more than just being something you do?
0: Well, in, in my case, I, I got a little lucky to have had that in uh, because my father did install the sound system at the track. I got to work where the announcer was and end up in the press box and, and got to know all the, all the, the racing writers and, and the fellow that, that ran the press box at the track. And, and when I thought in my head that that's what I wanted to do, I wanted to be a race caller, I asked them if there was a place where I could practice and they found places at the different tracks in Maryland where I grew up where I could go into a, almost a soundproof environment and just start practicing, practicing race calls, and that's what I would do. I would just call race after race live, and then uh, one day I was doing that at Pimlico, and at the time the fellow who was the general manager of the track, Chick Lang, happened to walk by and hear me, and he went and talked to his son who was the head of – uh, public relations and, and said, "Hey, uh, who's who's the kid up there c- calling races?" He says, "Oh, that's Larry. He wants to be an announcer." He says, "Well, let's let's get him started because we think cool. he can, you know, I think he can do it." And that's and so I started, you know, calling one race a day as a, an assistant track announcer and, and did other odd jobs, gopher, you know, and then uh, it just went from there. I just sort of worked my way up the food chain and things just took a while though there was a there was a lot of times where i was hoping that i would get a certain job i got turned down twice to be the track announcer at churchill downs and and a couple of couple of other places that i thought i was going to get and and eventually you know eventually it all worked out when uh, when when you just have to you know wait and bide your time and, and the, the right time comes up if you keep doing everything right
1: i know you thought you were being pranked when nbc called for the first time um what was that like when you heard uh, the voice? Kind of, and it, and it sank in that that's really what was happening on the other end of the phone. It
0: it was the most amazing thing you could you could just ever imagine, and and that's how everything started to change for me. That that day, um, it was. A, if you have time for the story, it's it's a it's a pretty good one. I uh, I was in the announcers' booth at Gulfstream Park in Florida calling calling races that day, and it was a very quiet day, not a, not a lot going on, and uh, I just just happened to you know, have some time between races, and, and all of a sudden, the phone start, started ringing in the announcer's booth, and I looked at the number, and it was a New York number, and I'm like, yeah, well, I wonder what this is, and the guy said, hey, my name is Fred Godelli and I'm the producer from the Triple Crown on NBC Sports. We wanted to <laughs> talk to you about calling races, so... I said, oh, hi, Fred. How are you? And um, I I said, as far as I know, that's Tom Durkin's job, Uh, you know, because he had been doing it for so many years and and it was not made public that Tom was stepping down. And I thought somebody was just playing a prank on me. Uh, And he said, well, Larry, Tom is stepping down. We haven't made it public and we want to meet you. And I'm like, Okay. Uh, I just, I was sort of taken, taken aback by all this. I never, never saw it coming. And uh, so anyways, long story short, they flew me up to, to LaGuardia, you know, picked me up had me spend the night in New York city. And then the next morning I had had lunch with Sam flood, who was the ex- executive producer for NBC sports and, and Fred Godelli, who was the producer and Rob Hyland, who was uh, the producer of the undercard races that we had. And he's now our producer And uh, we had a we had a nice lunch together and then I headed back to Fred's office and they're getting ready to get me out of there uh, to uh, fly back to Florida. And uh, I look and some guys walk into the office and I'm like, oh, man, that's Dick Ebersole, uh, you know, the head of NBC Sports. And and so he walks in and he he starts to talk to Fred about the fact that, uh, you know, the Sunday night football schedule came out because Fred is he's the producer for Sunday night football. And they were discussing the schedule. And Fred goes, hey, uh, Dick, this is Larry. He he uh, we're talking to him about maybe becoming our next race caller. And he's like, oh, OK. And then he went right back to talking about football. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, Embersell is leaving, walking out of the office and he turns around and he goes, uh, oh, hey, Larry. And I said yes, and he goes, "Do you believe us now?" <laughs> and it was it was a complete it was, it was a complete joke on me, you know, the fact that that he came in pretending he didn't care about the fact that I was there, and I think that the re- real reason he came in was to meet me, you know. <laughs> so uh, so I got a, a phone call. I flew back to Florida, and I, I'll never forget it. I'm, I'm in the bathroom uh, at a restaurant, and and the phone rings, and it's Fred calling me back saying, welcome to NBC Sports. And I just remembered, I just went outside and screamed at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I was like, it, it's, it was just the most amazing thing ever. And then and then you realize, in, oh, my goodness, in two weeks, I actually have to call the Kentucky <laughs> Derby. I better get ready now. Yeah, that was the other it thing. Was,
1: like, for 17 days, like, I think I would – I, I would have screamed for another reason um, like to figure out that I didn't have that much time to figure this out. Uh, how'd you, how'd you do it?
0: I, I had it you know, with the second that I realized that that phone call was, was real and it was from them. I started thinking about it. And I, I knew when we had a meeting and they, they wanted to interview me that they would ask me how I would call the Kentucky Derby. And I had two days before that meeting and I watched, a dozen of them and i i worked out my game plan that i told you about earlier and uh, and just ran it by him i'm like this is how I'm this is how i'm going to prepare to call the race i'm going to look at look at how the favorite in the race breaks um any other thing that's important and then i'll get to those 20 horses right away and by the time they run a half a mile i will have called all 20 and then i'll call it like any other horse race except for the fact that it's the derby and you know and and blah, blah, blah. And I, I told them that whole thing and they looked at each other like this dude's ready. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's, and then the next, you know, two weeks they started sending me footage of all the prep races so that I could review all the horses and they would send me the jockey silks so I could start prepping. And and by the time I got to Kentucky, I was ready to roll and, you know, called it animal kingdom winning the 2011 Kentucky Derby. And, it was just just incredible I, I cried like a baby right after the race i'll never forget it
1: what is uh how did you get good at doing what you do um what what did you, what was your process like to get yourself to the point where you're getting that phone call and you're growing and you're getting better and obviously you're making those tapes when you're when you're young but once you started getting jobs um what, what, how did you improve how did you get better at what you were doing
0: i think the more you do it uh, the better you are at doing it. And also, I, I, I don't know, I, I just wanted to... Maybe, I think there's, there's a certain bunch of us that do this profession that just get it and just you know can, can relate a race the way it's supposed to be related. And I, and I, I think that it's just something that... It's, there's a lot of repetition that helps, but you have to also try to get fresh think of new ways to say certain things. Don't say the same thing every time when a a situation comes up. Um, I do the New York times crossword puzzle every day, uh, you know, to try to, to try to, I I, like never miss. I, I always, I always try to, you know, especially the tougher ones. I prefer the, you know, I I skip the Monday and Tuesday because they're too easy. (laughs) But, uh, but the, uh, you know, I think little things like that, all of a sudden words come into your head when you, when you do that and, you, and then when you get it into a rut I'll, I'll I'll tell my friends you know give me a word of the day something I can something I can you know put into a race call and then, and then it just gets into your vocabulary if if you listen to um, and he just amazes me you listen to Doc Emmerich calling the hockey game he can you know, this, the same situation can come up five times in a row and he'll say it five different times, you know, five different ways. His, his vocabulary and, and, and quickness and, and how he delivers it is mind-blowing to me. And, of course, that's why he keeps winning Emmys. But, uh, you know, it, 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 I think that's something that you strive for. You, you try to be able to be fresh and be able to change the way you say things, even if the scenario is similar to, the, to what you've seen before. How has your voice
1: developed Too um, this is a question I haven't asked on this podcast in a while, but uh, how long have you sounded like you sound now, uh, and how much work went into to developing that sound?
0: The only really work that went into developing my voice was I years ago, I took a, a voice class when I was uh, living in Boston. I was uh, calling the races at Suffolk Downs up there in, in Boston, and and uh, wanted to, to try to Come up with a way to strengthen my voice a little bit. So I did take a voice class. It was kind of a, a theater class, and I remember the uh, the teacher uh, saying to me within the first day, she goes, "You're from Maryland, aren't you?" And I said, "Really? Like you could you could tell that?" She goes, "Oh yeah." Um, and I and I told her I said, "Well, let's get rid of it. Let's let's try to work on that. You know, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm you know." You know, provincial, you know, I, I want to have a, a better sound. Be- and and so she started like telling me like the word EGG. She says, how do you say that? I, I'm like, well, I say egg. And she goes, no, it's not egg, it's egg. And little things like that. You you find ways to to say the words properly and make yourself sound better. So that after I did that, uh, you know, there were a, she taught me a few other, vocal exercises to you know speak from the diaphragm and, and then i think my voice just kind of naturally changed I, I still don't think it's that great it's just okay and and uh, it's something that uh, it's worked okay for me but uh, you know i listened back at some of my original race calls and you just cringe. <laughs> you know that was that me that's horrible you know and, and uh and now it's like uh, tolerable I know you've said that you work to be more guttural at
1: times too, and you can hear it, you know, when it's coming around, you know, to the top of the stretch. uh, And, you know, when, when horses will make big surges, it's that, that deep grab. Um, Was that a conscious decision for you?
0: Yeah, it sure was because uh, I'd been accused by, and rightfully so by some people that about maybe getting a little too high pitched uh, when I got excited and, and thinking, well, I'm gonna get excited. Uh, that's not gonna change uh, when the situation's exciting. So what can I do about it? I, I'm gonna I'm going to sound excited, and you know, can I can I sound excited and and make it sound better? And that's when you know I, I just kind of thought maybe that's how I can handle it. You know, just sort of just kind of growl a little bit rather than screech like an owl. You know,
1: yeah, it, it, it works out. So that's <laughs> that's good. Well, I'm glad. Um. I want to ask you one more thing and then uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I am curious because I, I know you're known for it. So I want to exclude these two. Uh, but the, the horse's name that you have most enjoyed working with beyond my wife knows everything. And the wife doesn't know.
0: Well, th- there's been a, there's been a few over the years. Um, I, there was, there was a horse, uh, that ran in Florida, uh, named harass, uh, that, um, you know, you could take that in several different ways. Uh, And I remember calling races with that horse's name Uh, there, you know, there, there's just been a, there's been a bunch over the years that, that you, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, like uh, there there's one, I'm a huge fan of uh, the movie naked gun and airplane. That's, that's (laughs) like my, my type of movie. That's, I'm, I'm completely sophomoric and, And in fact, the other day we had a horse that ran at Belmont Park named Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo. I mean, and I I was so excited. I mean, it was just this ordinary race, and like, oh, I get to call a horse name. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo, you know. And and so they're, you know, they're going around the turns like, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. And I was ready to do the whole Enrico Palazzo, Enrico Palazzo. (laughs) For those of you that have seen Naked Gun, and if you haven't, you should be ashamed of yourself, (laughs) uh, because it's it's fabulous. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, there's... I, I love to have fun with horses' names, especially you know in situations like that. Movies that uh, that I enjoy and, and all that good stuff.
1: Uh, well, I uh, I want to let you get going so you can get working, uh, diving into to your Preakness prep. I'm sure uh, it should be a fun next couple of weeks. This has got to be a good time of year to be to be Larry Colmes. So I appreciate you giving uh, me a couple minutes of your time,
0: Joel. It's been my pleasure, and uh, yeah, let's hope Justify can can get through the the second jewel of the Triple Crown, and then we can get into Get him to Belmont Park and see what happens.
1: I was, that? Makes your life a little bit more interesting, too, doesn't it? Does it? It, it changes a little bit if Justify doesn't win
0: this week. Or it next changes week? a lot. It changes a whole lot. Uh, when uh, I remember, uh, we got a, a kick out of it. One one year we had uh, I'll Have Another, who had won the Kentucky Derby in Preakness, and then he he scratched the day before the Belmont Stakes with with an injury, and I remember walking through the the, uh, the compound from NBC and, and at uh, at the Belmont stakes and in his, in his sarcastic way, uh, Bob Costas walked up to me and he said, uh, Larry, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but your call tomorrow will take somewhat of a less historical significance. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just said, Bob, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, it, it. It is so night and day when there's a triple crown on the line and when there's not, as far as the the, the both the excitement and the angst that is uh, involved in in getting ready for that race.
1: I have to stop talking because I'm going to keep thinking of things. But now I will. This is my my for sure last question. What is uh what's it like? You mentioned Tom Hammond at the beginning, being able to work with guys like Tom and now Bob Costas, and just being around other people that are so at the top of their craft. Uh, how that's made you better too in the way that you just approach broadcasting and, and this craft uh in, in and of itself.
0: Well the fact that you you get to, to work with these guys and, and also you know uh, get to pick their brain, you know, is is pretty cool. I mean I that was believe me when when American Pharaoh was going for the triple crown and, and actually the year before too I, I called California Chrome going for the triple crown. You know, not only did I talk to Tom but you know, here's bob costas here's a guy that you know is a, a legend in in this business and believe me i i sat down with him and say hey you know what what you what approach do you think i should take and and you know the guy's you know he's somebody you want to listen to um and now we have mike Tarico. i mean talk about a, a another just amazing sports broadcaster yeah and uh, and just the nicest man you'd ever want to meet in your life too, by the way. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just mind boggling that you get to be a part of this crew and, and, you know, the NBC people, they're, they're just, they're like family and they're, it's, it's so cool working with them. And and I I remember when I, um, my first Kentucky Derby and the first time I was, um, working for NBC and we had our, our production meeting in the trailer and, and Bob, Costas walked in and he just kind of scanned the room with his eyes and walked right up to me. He says, I know every single person in this room, except for you. You must be Larry. And (laughs) uh, and that was like, wow, you know, this is pretty cool here. And I was going to say, and you are. But uh, I didn't (laughs) I didn't do that. But uh, yeah, I'm like, and and now he's just Bob. He's just, you know, he's the guy, you know, you get to work with. And and it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool stuff, to be honest with you.
1: All right, that's Larry Colmas joining us here on Play by Playcast, the voice of the Triple Crown on NBC. You can hear his voice next week with the Preakness Stakes, the 143rd running from Pimlico. Of course, you can check out his work from last week as well with the Kentucky Derby, and then uh, three weeks after, um, the Preakness will be uh, the Belmont Stakes. You know what's interesting about that conversation? And, you know, Larry mentioned the fact that he's never done anything other than broadcast horse racing. But I think a lot of the things he said are translatable to what anybody else does in this industry. What a hockey broadcaster does, to what a lacrosse broadcaster does, to what a curling broadcaster does, to what a horse racing broadcaster does in terms of his preparation, in terms of his ability to learn and forget information in an efficient manner, in terms of his voicing, in terms of the way that he... Is locked in, watching an event, you know, when he talked about not using the monitor and and, and having to actually have his eyes on the horses at all times. Um, All of those things are translatable. And that's one of the things I think is cool about this podcast is that here I am reaching out to Larry. I'm probably never going to call a horse race in my life, although I wouldn't, you never know, Um, I'm I'm doing CrossFit lacrosse and tennis in a one month span, Uh, but I'm probably never going to call horse racing in my life. But in talking to Larry, who has never called anything other than horse racing, you very quickly start to find some common ground in terms of the craft and in terms of how we can all help make each other better by listening to how other people that are really good at what they do, do what they do. So it was fun to have Larry Colmus on this episode of PXP Cast. Uh, until next week, we say so long. We're out of time, though, for this one. So hit it, Marshmallow, 101 episodes kind of, in the books. We'll talk to you next week right back here on PXPCast. We're out. And that will do it from St. Louis where the score is inconclusive.